he told me, hey, Jomo, you're, you're really brave. And I would say, I didn't get what he meant. Why would you say that? And he said, he said, I'm here to get licensing deals. You're not even worrying about licensing. You've just gone past that and you're trying to create your own company. That's the voice of Jomo Tariku, owner of Jomo Furniture. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Jomo Tariku, owner of the Springfield, Virginia-based furniture company, Jomo Furniture. Jomo's story is complicated in more ways than one. This is his second run at having his own furniture company, and so he's going through all the physical trials of what it takes to reestablish a shop, set up material supply lines, find employees, and more. But at the same time, he's traveling all over the country to famous events, showcasing his furniture in many media outlets, and in talks with multiple museums to have his pieces in their permanent collections, all based on the reputation that he built from his first furniture company. And so his business is both large and small at the exact same time. And if that's not complicated enough, he's also working to reshape the design industry as a whole, striving to have African design included in the canon of work that it displays. Now, this is a long one, so I don't want to give too much of an intro, because you're going to hear all about his story in his own words coming up. So let's jump right in at the start of our conversation and see where the journey takes us. Hey, Ethan. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for uh, making the time. I really do appreciate it. No, glad to. We have six uh, six big tables shipping out today, and they were supposed oh, to pick. Okay. They were supposed to pick them up this morning, um, and they didn't come. So there is this outside possibility that I might need to step away. But step away. If, if that, uh, you know, I I do apologize. I'm usually a very together person, but, <laughs> so I I appreciate your uh, no your, no problem at all. <laughs> I, I appreciate your generosity, so thank you. <laughs> We're in the same industry, so it's not like I don't know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no worries at all, man. I'm, okay. uh, I'm going through the growing pains at the moment, so uh, there's a lot of things going on in my psyche. Yeah, well, I do appreciate it. Um, and yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. I just like to start off with with your story and 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 the start of your journey into furniture making and and that can either start as your business started mm-hmm. or can start you know people have earliest childhood memories of, yeah. of building things and going from there so wherever you want to start is is perfect with me my furniture journey in a weird way probably started as a high schooler uh, i remember my uh, it's not i remember my father put me and my younger brother a year and two months uh, uh, younger than me uh, through an, a kind of like an apprenticeship uh, 
work during a, two summer breaks. I think it was ninth grade and 11th grade. Uh, this was something for us to do during summer break. Uh, was I, you know, I was not extremely excited about it, but it was a good reason to get out of the house. My dad was pretty strict about where we went and what we did. Uh, very watchful of uh, what we were going to end up being. And my story, this story begins in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I'm originally from Ethiopia. I was born in Kenya. I have a Kenyan name. Um, but we moved when I was young to Ethiopia and I grew up in Ethiopia until high school. Uh, so that was my first experience in a wood shop. And this probably, especially by American standards, it was a very small shop, but it was fascinating to witness what the owner of this business could uh, crank out from this shop that if I remember right, had a, a belt sander, uh, pretty scary bandsaw from the 40s. Uh, that was so huge, he couldn't even fit it in his tiny shop. So most of the things we did was uh, working with our hands. We would do finishing, sanding. We were not allowed to touch any of these machines. I think he also had a drill press. But pretty much with these and a couple of hand tools, he was able to, to employ two people to have us uh, help out over there. He was an artist too, so he would teach us art how to paint, how to draw uh, when he had time. So that was my earliest experience. Then uh, when I came here to the US to attend college, I ended up at the University of Kansas, uh, which was pretty much uh, a professor convinced me to study industrial design after talking to him uh, to keep <laughs> my story a bit short. Um, then I did my thesis on uh, African furniture. I was just curious why I never saw uh, modern line of African furniture. And that ended up being my core study uh, for my fifth year thesis. Um, then I moved on, uh, worked a couple of places, uh, always sketching on these ideas that I developed in college. And in 2000 with friends of mine uh, opened, uh, and my younger brother uh, opened a design studio in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, that covered the gamut of web design, uh, video editing, anything on the 2D, 3D part, plus the furniture. The graphics side pretty much uh, funded the furniture. Uh, all the furniture, again, was based on African themes and uh, on what I thought was modern interpretation of uh, African um, design concepts and vocabularies that I have adapted from you know, doing a whole bunch of research. Uh, Unfortunately, it never uh, took off. There was no traction I could get out of it, even though I attended a few shows. There were a few uh, articles on newspapers uh, with, the, with the economy pretty much uh, tanking in 2008, having few clients who haven't paid us on the graphics side, and just pure exhaustion of trying to run two businesses. Uh, me and my partner decided it was time to, to uh, look into other work. Uh, but in 2008, I was uh, hired by the World Bank Group uh, initially as a designer. And right before I left, the last few years as a data scientist. Uh, so I transitioned from one uh, profession to another. In, during this time, you know, evenings, uh, Metro rides are dedicated to doing furniture sketches. 
um, around 2015 or 16, a book publisher reached out to me uh, out of London, interested in my old design uh, because she was working on uh, a book about African design. And I, I kept on telling her, look, my stuff is old. Uh, even I am not interested in them. It's been kind of like 10 years since I've done anything. But she insisted to, uh, to republish some of my old work. That led to invitation to one design festival to another. Um, and in Dubai, I took uh, Dubai Design Week. Got, I got invited over there through uh, Addis Design Week representing Ethiopia, where I took new, pretty much conceptual chair designs that I've developed. I prototyped those and took them with me thinking, nah, you know, people will probably not not be interested in uh, still in my vision of uh, a modern line of African furniture. But to my surprise, the, the reaction in our booth was just fantastic. I couldn't believe how how people liked my stuff. And again, it was a bit on the conceptual side. So um, I was I was just like, flabbergasted saying maybe it's finally time to to rethink this whole thing um so that slowly pretty much led to where i am right now um where i slowly kept adding to my portfolio moving stuff from sketch and 3d to actual furniture pieces um you can my my design pieces right now um are being collected in most of the things that have happened uh, are of late. Uh, 2021 has been a, a weird up and down year for me initially thinking uh, 2020 and 2021 would be just terrible for like, like most designers thought would be really bad for me. But uh, right now I'm in discussion with about five to six museums who want to add some of my work to their permanent collection. So um, from some from from years where I was getting absolutely zero traction to major museums uh, right now within US wanting to add my my design work as part of their permanent collection, I think is a huge leap. Um, and, and some of it has not just have happened by by chance or by luck. Uh, there's definitely demand, uh, social pressure on museums in design-related organizations to diversify and add and to look to look to other than very West or Western-oriented uh, Eurocentric design and you know expand their canons. So timing-wise, it just worked out that I was ready. I had my work done. Uh, I've been working on this for a while, like I said, even when I walked away from the shop. Uh, I, I always did my conceptual work. I've always liked looking at books and developing ideas. Uh, so that's where I am right now. And like I said uh, to you, uh, I'm right in the middle of the growing pain of, uh, you know, stopping my work, trying to see if I can uh, rent space to, to start a small shop. Uh, you know, trying to see to make sure if I can take care of delivery on time, uh, logistics, and all these other things that most businesses uh, 
and furniture businesses uh, are, are tangling with on a daily basis. I'm just at the infancy of that stage, but um, I think this this tells you pretty much where I am. Perfect, because those are all the things that we like to talk about on this show. <laughs> so right. you you really you really hit the nail on the head with that one. Let's start this conversation though in a little bit of a different a different vein. Let's start this conversation mm-hmm. off with inspiration and your inspiration, where mm-hmm. where your ideas come from. You have a furniture collection and you're not making custom pieces. You're designing your work and that is what you're selling, which yeah. is a daunting task for some people because when you're building custom work, you already know that you're building what the customer wants. But yeah. with your own collection, you're relying on the public to have the same eye that you do, which is is hard. You can't picture what everybody wants and what mm-hmm. will sell and what will do well. So let's talk about your inspiration and how you decide on the pieces that you're going to be adding to your collection. Sure. I mean, I think this is totally based on that um again, research that I did for my thesis, you know, the, the constant, the best place to hang out when I was on campus at KU was always at the uh, art and design library. I mean, back then, this is, I'm talking about early 90s, there's no Instagram. So I would go through books, you know, I'd go through books, I would go through all these magazines that I've never seen growing up in Ethiopia. I was fascinated by all these publications. But what that kept telling me was, um, we as Africans and our our design aesthetics and our design thinking were missing. And, you know, as an industrial designer, you're a problem solver and you look at that as a problem to solve. And of course, I am perfectly situated now uh, as a, you know, future designers identifying a problem and saying, you know what, if I can figure this out, I'm opening up Uh, a totally new market for me and people like me. So uh, unlike custom furniture designers, maybe you can customize mine. So I I wouldn't say I'm not uh, completely out of the custom things, but what I have is a catalog of things that I have uh, brought from the mindset of an African designer, uh, bringing my culture, my heritage, the landscape, the the wildlife, everything that says what Africanness means to me is what I pour into this design. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel and check out major furniture shows. Uh, all the way I've been to Saloni, I've been invited over there, I've been to Saloni and I've seen this, this huge gap of uh, missing potential. So I've always known that if I can create my own uh, niche into that, I'll be just fine, you know, and I won't be the only one. Uh, and definitely it's kind of scary doing your own and not having kind of like a traditional wood shop where people come to you and say, I want a cabinet or I want a chair. Uh, I, I remember I ran into a pretty famous designer once in, in Chicago at a trade show and I was surprised he was following my work. And and he told me, hey, Jomo, you, you're really brave. And I would say, I didn't get what he meant. And I say, why would you say that? And he said, 
you know, us guys are trying, he's also an industrial designer. He said, I'm here to get licensing deals. You're not even worrying about licensing. You've just gone past that. And you're trying to create your own company, which is very risky. Um, trying to create this uh, catalog of your own design that is not, like you said, based on uh, clients approaching me to get custom work done. So um, maybe that's, I got into this without knowing the risk, I guess, uh, initially, uh, because as an industrial designer and without any woodshop type of experience within the US, other than me being a member of woodworkers club or something, uh, I've never done a, any uh, apprenticeship in the US, for example. So I've never known what a custom woodshop is. Uh, I kind of knew from outside, but since it was not the thing I wanted to do, it's not something I explored. Um, so it's always been, how do I bring and create my own market? And how do I expand on that? Uh, it ended up being a 30-year journey, but I, can't, I don't want to have it any other way. Because right now, um, it's, it feels unbelievable to, to me and my wife, my brother, uh, you know, my mom, <laughs> I tell them, you know, Hey, uh, this museum reached out and they want to talk about my work. It's like, if you had asked me two years ago, where do you want to be? And, you know, being added to a permanent collection, I would say when I hit 70 or 80, I would like to be, you know, my work to be considered, I would have been just fine. But, you know, twist of faith, and that's where I am right now. And is some of my works considered collectible design. It's kind of a, a unique uh, area to be at. But it is something I want to expand out of uh, and have, you know, something that is accessible to, um, to a lot of people. So it doesn't, not everything ends up being high-end furniture. Let's talk about how you got your name out there. Because you've been in this arena for 30 plus years, and I'm sure yeah. you've seen a lot of things that have worked, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of things that didn't work. So how have you gone about getting your name out there over the years? What are some ways that have worked for you? And honestly, what are some ways that haven't worked for you? Well, you know, definitely Facebook didn't work. You know, I was heavily invested in Facebook, tweaking it, thinking that you know, why isn't this thing working? And I'm just specifically focusing on how, how I got my name out there. And going back to that Dubai trip, I remember, you know, people will come and take photos of my work. Back then, I didn't know. I've heard of Instagram. But it was like any, any new thing. You, you know, you hear about it, you check it out, you don't understand it, and you just shut it. And that's what I did. And I remember people coming and taking photos and keying in something on their phone and they kept on doing that. And I, at some point I had to say, what are you doing? You know, I'm just curious. I'm not saying don't take photos of it. I, I said, what are you doing? And, and, and the lady I was talking to said, well, we're posting your stuff on Instagram. And uh, if you don't mind telling me your web address or whatever, uh, we, we'll tag that and it's like tag. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, I took, I think, maybe one photo and posted it. I still didn't get Instagram. 
So, uh, but once I got back and started working and started following people and started, um, you know, checking out work, I said, this, this is more interesting. And organically started by itself slowly growing. It's not like I have a huge amount of followers, but through there, what I did was I met quality people, people who liked my work, people who wanted something different, uh, other black designers that I didn't know were out there. Um, and we had similar concerns about the industry. We started sharing, which led us into starting the, uh, and one of the co-founders of the Black Artists and Designers Guild, where we tried to promote and show the work of Black designers to the industry, engage the industry to change, to, to discover more talented people. Um, and that is what helped me. I mean, this collaborative way of solving a problem was more than just doing an interesting line of uh, furniture design. And one thing definitely that I've seen, especially within the African-American community is, you know, when I went to uh, ICFF years ago and, you know, a couple of you know, uh, attendees would come and would just like emotionally get attached to my work either through me or through the African things they were seeing through my work. Because it's a rarity to, to see uh, designers like me at large trade shows. And, you know, between that and this unique thing and the collaborations and uh, sharing of experiences and all that has put me in this unique position that I am at right now. Now, designing your own furniture collection is a balance. Because on one hand, you want it to be your voice. It's your furniture collection. But on the other hand, you also want people to buy it. And your furniture, with its rich African art and cultural background that we've been talking about, sets itself apart from most of the everyday furniture, which could be a good thing because it stands out from the crowds, but it could also be a hard thing because it requires a specific palette for someone to use in their space. Yes, people can respect furniture as works of art. They can love it and, and they can love the look of it and they can say that is an amazing piece of furniture, but it might not at the end of the day fit with the style of their home. And unfortunately, in this business, we're all just trying to sell furniture my test and my palette, one, I've noticed two things. Again, if, uh, for example, I have a stool based on, on, on a headrest found in, uh, in most East African uh, countries. And people from around there will look at the stool and say, ah, that, that thing looks like, that looks like that headrest thing I've seen. Or people who've traveled to East Africa would actually kind of say, that, that looks familiar. It is a very modern interpretation of that. So it fits in with, you know, a gamut of design. It could fit in just fine within your mid-century home, just as well as, you know, if you have a collection of uh, African art and you want to incorporate it with that. And, you know, it is, it, I use a lot of simple lines. Some of them are very organic, like my Niala chair, which is based on an antelope uh, horn. And then you have the very industrial looking series of stools you know, with the height adjustability uh, 
that I've done that are made out of plywood, you know, uh, Baltic birch plywood. So it, my work ranges, I'm, I'm trying not to focus, super focus on the, on the what materials to use at the end. Right now, because I'm a small operation, I only like just to focus on wood, but that's not the goal. As the business grows, I'll go in, into my industrial design side of me and get into experimenting using different uh, materials. But in the meantime, I'm super focused working on, for example, there is a reason why I only do chairs and stools. I work out of my home. We're a 3% operation. If we grow, I can grow within reason. If I need a warehouse, but I can't find one, which is kind of tough around here uh, in, in Northern Virginia, I still can box and warehouse these things in my home. I can, the lesson about uh, my previous business and this one was I ran in an office, I had a studio, I had a showroom. There was a lot of money I was spending while I was not making mo enough money to replenish the business so we can grow. Uh, and, you know, if you're from around here, office space and that type of thing is kind of expensive. What I've done now is my presence is online. I, I, I get on podcasts and interviews and uh, magazine interviews, but I'm not ashamed to say, look, yes, I might be trying to present a, a bigger image, but I work out of my basement. And I outsource some of my work, but the goal is to have my own shop but I wanted to grow organically because I remember the pain of closing a business. So I do things within reason. I think sometimes I'm super conservative. It's just a reminder that when I closed my first business, I had a lot of debt that I had to pay out, to pay off through the years. And I just don't want to be in that position again. It's just stressful as hell. So it, growth is organic. I'm happy with, with the size that I am, that I am at right now. Uh, would I be happy uh, next year? No, I want it to grow. I want it to be a five to 10 person company. I don't want to be Ikea. That's not the goal here. The idea is for me to play a role to introduce a new design vocabulary that is based out of Africa into the, the design world where where it makes our industry even much, much more richer. I want people to think when they think African design, I want them to think more than a craftsperson work, a mask, uh, a mask or a leopard print uh, on, a, on a European chair or um, uh, upcycled material. It's a very wide gamut. And this part was missing. I'm just bringing that. And it is going well, and I hope it keeps growing. I just can't see it retracting. Uh, I think the timing uh, is perfect for, for someone like me to break in into the industry right now. There are two paths that I want to take with my next question, and I'm, I'm conflicted here. So I'm going to mm -hmm. leave it up to you. It's going to be a choose your own adventure, which road you want to take. <laughs> okay. So one path is talking about how you're going to be growing this business, going from a three-person to a five to 10-person business, what your goals are for growth. And the mm -hmm. other path is about your work in 
changing the industry. Your、mm. idea of bringing the culture of Africa into the everyday furniture conversation is、mm. just as important when you're designing a piece as how it physically comes together. So those are the two. The two paths, and we can talk about both of them. But which one do you want to talk about first? So the the idea at the moment is, like I said,、uh, I want organic growth. The the good thing in behind the scene, what has been happening is,、uh, various catalogs have been approaching me to willing、uh, to carry my work. I've been very very selective. Who I will be working with and how I want to expand this business. Uh, all my work is done in the U.S.,、uh, and the plan is to keep that going while looking into opportunities. If I can produce some of these things、uh, out of Africa, after all,、uh, my design is based on Africa, and not to have uh, uh, something made、uh, from one of one or even more countries out of Africa would be uh, uh, kind of disappointing for me. Um, so the catalog、uh, yeah, business is one area I'm looking at. There are,、uh, in, if you've noticed, I think is blossomed the last.、Uh, I, I could be wrong. Maybe the last five to seven years,、um, catalogs willing or wanting to to、um, to sell unique works、uh, are many. Uh, I've been approached with a decent amount of them. It's just a matter of、uh, checking their terms and what makes me happy, and what is within reason,、uh, and and doing that.、Um, MoMA, the MoMA store will be carrying three of my stools、uh, this September, which is a huge achievement for myself. Again, it's one one museum you look up to and say, would I even, should I even think about?、It? Ever being in this, in this building or in their store, yeah. You know, so that is happening, and and again, I'm I'm a pretty optimistic, still very conservative when it comes to business type of person.、Um, I my optimism says the pie is so huge it can only go up. My conservative say, side says make sure you don't run out of money while this optimism is there. One thing I am a hundred percent sure. I've always been confident about my design skills and、uh, the amount of new, new work I can bring、uh, to bear into the market, as long as we can find buyers. So I am never、um, worried or short of ideas. I think there might be too many in my sketchpads、uh, to begin with, and it's a matter of filtering what goes up when.、Uh, so. Uh, running out of, out of ideas is not so. The, the the only concern right now is about raising capital and how do we open the shop. So within that range,、uh, I've been, for example, looking into abandoned buildings、uh, within my county and trying to see if I should start from there instead of、uh, moving into a warehouse where I rent and just uh, uh, lose my money. So I just want to invest as serious I'm about. Uh, about it, invest into something that I will be there for a while. I want to incorporate education into this idea of mine. I want to be able. I, I love teaching, and it would be the shop. The type of shop I want to create would be、uh, something that would be a fusion between high tech production 
in traditional craft. I, I like the idea of both as an industrial designer, I think this probably comes natural for most. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't look at a five axis CNC and say, oh, that's gonna replace somebody's job. We look at it and say, it will enhance our work. It will bring in some kind of efficiency, predictability into what we do. So I love automation. Uh, I'm kind of a techie person anyway. So that was my passion of staying within the shop and bringing new ideas. I think a fusion of all of these things will help uh, uh, grow my business and new ideas once you know once you're on a roll and if you can keep up uh, with it and you add marketing and public relations, I can only see potential. At least that's the optimism in my head uh, that is telling me. Well, optimism in your head is a great way to see the world, but that optimism is more than just in your head. You're going to be in the MoMA store, three of your pieces. That is a tremendous accomplishment and something that is definitely, definitely not imaginary. That is, that is very, very yeah. real. Yeah, that's um, honestly one of the most exciting days in being added to permanent collection of I'm already at the LA uh, County Museum, LACMA. I'm about to ship one chair to uh, Denver Museum um, and another one here up in North Carolina and three more uh, and one brand new design that I'm working on uh, with my furniture maker, uh, uh, David Bonhoff. So it's, like I said, 2021 has been, the way it's ending has been just fantastic. As worrisome as it was at the beginning of it. So yes, uh, I can only be optimistic uh, with some conservative approaches into the business side of it. Let's get a little bit into the business side of it. And mm -hmm. when people have different lines of their furniture, like you have a very high-end, almost one-of-a-kind handcrafted Mm -hmm. side where these pieces are going into museum collections and are definitely hitting that upper echelon market, but you're also mm -hmm. designing and building and trying to produce an affordable line of furniture that is out of plywood, that's out of veneered stock. So you have both sides of the scale there. And that yeah. is sometimes a tricky place for a business to be in because the higher end stuff gets brought down by the less expensive stuff or vice versa, the lesser end stuff starts having to be priced higher to keep up with the pricing of the higher end stuff. So how are you balancing that in your own business right now, having two separate lines of furniture at the same time? This, this is an excellent question. And the biggest challenge I've had, I've had mentors uh, who, who've advocated for one versus the other, uh, saying, look, it's fine to have both on one side. And another, uh, another mentor saying, be careful mixing these two. Uh, so it's, it's been a challenge. It's still my biggest challenge. I have to make this business model work. 
And the way those tools were designed were supposed to be uh, entry-level items. Uh, the breadwinners uh, of my company, the one I can push out uh, as many copies as possible, uh, as small as I am. Again, I'm not trying to be IKEA, but you know, I have a kind of a, a, a number that I would like to push out on a monthly basis um, versus the high-end stuff. And the way I looked at it and when I approached both mentors, what I said to them was, look, I, I, I want to, because I have them and they have designed them, I, I said, I want accessible furniture, obviously, uh, because I want as many people as possible to have them in their home if they like my product. And also to make that statement piece, like my Niala chair and this new chair I'm working on, few other things that I've worked on and I want that to be for the uh, high-end market not just because I want it it's just that it costs a decent am amount of money to get those things done uh, we're getting them done one maybe at best three times out of three items at a time uh, so there is no volume thing being done here uh, and when order comes in, that's when we make those chairs. Uh, there's nothing that I make and keep uh, with me. Um, so, you know, I've been cautioned about both approaches for at the moment, I feel like is, is working. Um, and, and I remember one of my mentors pretty much saying, look, there will be people who like your Niala chair and will never be able to afford it, but give them something they can say at least that's something that Jomo did. And we we can have that because we like that design too. It's not just buying it for the namesake, but saying, look, he covers a wide gamut. Uh, I, as a 35 year old, um, you know, worker, this is what I can afford and I'll, this is what I'll buy is, could be your approach. And when you're in your fifties and you are, uh, you are into collectible designs and you want to get your Niala, then that's when you get it. Again, it's within reason. I mean, my Niala chairs start um, $5,000 a piece and they go uh, higher depending what kind of materials we're using. Um, the stools, the initial goal for the stools was about, you know, $1,200, $1,400, but that, that just didn't work out. Now, once I... Uh, I started dealing with catalogs uh, and uh, you know the margins they offer you and you know you have your insurance, your shipping, your returns and all that. So unfortunately the, the prices of those have gone up but uh, it's not because I didn't try it's just sometimes the nature of the business this is what you have to deal with. But it seems to work. Uh, people seem to to pay for unique design and for now it's working. If the opportunity of bringing uh, some of this work in-house reduces the price, uh, that's what we will work on. Uh, because I really want uh, accessible design to be part of my collection uh, while the higher end stuff is there. Are you looking to run two separate companies for this? Or do you see them both being housed under one roof? The, the one-of-a-kind high-end pieces and the accessible furniture? Uh, I'm thinking one business and, and, and I have a reason. I mean, it's like, um, you know, you, 
you walk into some high-end store and you end up, you know, let's say it's a fashion store and you can't afford the leather jacket, but you walk out with a tie. I, I don't see it. I, I see my body of work as a full set of things. And for me as an industrial designer, you know, I'm sure marketing people will just probably, you know, be stunned with my approach, but it's worked for me. So up to now, it seems to work. Uh, it has not been a hindrance. And I am probably not the only designer doing this. I'm sure there are designers out there. You know, uh, take, for example, Virgil Abloh. He designs high-end stuff. Then he has stuff that IKEA brands under his name and sells. You know, so it is within that, um, you know, within that flavor of approaching things when it comes to marketing. So unless that I, I see something that makes me change the way I brand and sell uh, and market my stuff and is becoming a hindrance, with the current trend, I feel like I'm fine. I'm, you, know, I, you know, somebody has to prove to me that uh, you, you can grow your business five times uh, exponentially than the way you're doing it. Uh, but I'm not seeing that. Uh, I, by the way, I will, I will walk away from the brand of Jomo Furniture and it will be just my name, Jomo Tariku, because I also want to expand into other uh, design work. When that one kicks in, if it is outside of the, the homeware business, then that would be where the split will happen. But if it is designing like, uh, you know, dinnerware and everything else, it will still be under my brand. Um, up to now, that's, that's the thinking. Your studies as an industrial designer definitely show through in all aspects of how you talk about not only where you've been, but also where you're going. A lot of people don't have that school background of being taught specific ways to go about things. A lot of people learn it on their own and mm -hmm. learn it either on the job or learn it part-time and, and work their way into an understanding. But you hit the ground fully formed in these ideas that you got from your classes. Do you see a big difference between the way you look at furniture design or design in general coming from an academic background versus people you've talked to, you've been in this industry a long time, people who have learned it on their own? And what are the pros and cons that you've seen to having that academic background versus figuring it out on your own? Wow. That's, uh, that's a difficult question, but let, let me, let me, try to take a whack at it. Definitely, ID, I, you know, the perspective of an industrial designer is solve uh, a problem or uh, simplify it or make things approachable to people. So um, that side of it and me identifying this problem while still in school and still pursuing it uh, and believing that I'm solving a problem, uh, kind of helps uh, because you're always looking at things. Is there a problem? 
and how can I approach it and how can I solve it or, you know, come up with an idea uh, to get to get it into out into the market that helps people. So from the academic part of it, there's always that side nudging you. But I love the way also, I mean, I, I, I work with traditional uh, furniture makers mostly. And look, I you can spend as many hours as you want in an ID shop uh, in school. You're not going to get what the a traditional furniture maker knows. It is... I maybe this days is different and maybe I'm too old when it comes to this, but what I design, sketch out and come up with ideas and start working with uh, uh, a craftsperson and they come back and say, nope, don't run the grain this way. Uh, don't do this. Uh, you're wasting a lot of material here. It's not like as an ID guy, I'm not watchful of material waste because that's, that's money uh, you're wasting also. But the, the, those years of somebody growing in a shop and that experience they bring into the know-how they've brought into woodworking versus an ID guy who is a kind of like a generalist who touches everything uh, matters. There's, that's where the gap is. Uh, it's not that ID guys can't run their own shop and be happy. But I think we'll be missing uh, a big chunk of understanding how things are made if you don't have a traditional woodworker right next to you. Yeah, design-wise, you might beat him, but he's going to beat you when it comes to uh, how things are built. For me, I've accepted this. This, this is not an ego thing for me to go to a wood shop uh, to my woodworker and you know the guy who works on my chair and he says, uh-uh, bad idea. Let's not do joints like that. Uh, and, you know, and this is why I accept that. Then I come back and say, uh, we're losing on the design. You have to come up with something to fix this since you didn't accept my idea. So it's always a dialogue between that traditional woodworker and the years accumulated uh, of know-how of tools and uh of, of the materials that we use daily versus a designer who thinks everything is doable. So it's a balance. Uh, it's a balance. I don't see it one being advantageous over the other. I think it is, uh, it's a relationship that's a must if you want to create uh, amazing work in, you know, half of the hidden story. And the reason few, few times, um, few magazines have approached me and said, we want to do a story on your work. I've said to them, I've told my story 10 times. Why don't we do a story that involves the, the people that work on my, uh, on my design behind the scene? And a couple of magazines uh, accepted that and sent a, a video or a photo crew to document both sides of, uh, of this work because this relationship is extremely important to me. It is not something hey, I've designed this fantastic thing. Yeah, I have a small shop, but I don't build anything in the shop unless I have something emergency. It's a prototype shop after all, at the moment. Um, so it's, um, I think it's a beautiful relationship when you find someone that reads your mind and you can work with. Uh, and one is not better than the other. It's, it's a, a very complimentary thing if you if you want to create a, 
a masterpiece. Balance. Balance yeah. is <laughs> a key takeaway in so many parts yes. of business. And I'll repeat it again for the people in the back. Balance in all works of your business is so incredibly important. Now, if, if you thought that one was a hard question, <laughs> I'm going to go on back to the other path that we did not take for that choose your own adventure. And that is your work in changing the industry. Your work is so tied with a cultural message that you are trying to bring to the forefront of society. So mm -hmm. let's talk about forging a new dialogue of furniture and furniture design moving forward. Sure. Um, well, you know, I've, I've noticed, uh, in, and again, attending various shows, uh, uh, you know, trade shows, uh, if you have attended anything related to what is considered um, African art or African design, it is a Western uh, understanding of what it is, what the curators of these shows bring into these collections. And my constant, constant fight was to say, we are bigger than this. You are um, boxing us into this little tiny thing as uh, you know I, I come from a very culturally rich country and you know everybody's uh, uh, very proud of their culture and heritage uh, you know you, you look at what Scandinavian designers have contributed in the, the whole uh, uh, furniture uh, experience it is it is partially the way and uh, the approach to design, to production, to handcraftship, uh, and all these things that that have you know make you say, huh, you know, I I, I like I like Hans Wagner's uh, chair. So from this dialogue, I've always felt like we as Africans we've been missing. You know, the modern day designer has been missing. So. Uh, it, it is about network, and that's why we are we have this guild I mentioned to you. And the guild is about networking. It is about introducing the work of uh, black designers into the market. It, this is this is the same thing as saying let's change this industry. Uh, you know, next time you pick up Architectural Digest and flip through it, or the Atlas of Furniture Design, which Vitra published. Next time you want them to include designers that are, you know, that covered a wide gamut instead of it being very Eurocentric. Even the Vitra book says that most of the designers they have there are uh, focused on the, on the, on a very Eurocentric design. So I bring, or people like me bring to the market is just making it richer. I mean, the music industry become, became much more richer when, you know, jazz, and you know R&B and you know hip hop got introduced to it. It didn't take away what others were doing. You just made the market even bigger, and richer, and colorful. And I think that's what is kind of missing now. Uh, I think the industry has recognized it. Uh, they don't see it as a negative to dialogue with people like me who has a totally different approach to design. And 
I think is good for everyone. Is, is people will learn from me as I have learned from them. It never hurt me that I I had Danish furniture books on my shelf. You know, I love these works. So it's not that the lack of admiration for others is not there. It's just we're saying, you know, make it a kaleidoscope of uh, things and not be specific. It is, it will make our work even much more richer. And you know, it is working. It's working in 2021. It didn't work in 2015. So I hope. Others will build on, you know, the door that has been opened. Going off that idea of building off a door that has been opened, what is some advice that you could give to people who are starting their own companies, who mm-hmm. are looking to get into this world of furniture and are seeing you and your success and they say i also want to be in museums i also want to have lines of furniture i also want to have worldwide representation for my furniture what's some advice that you could give to those people and what's some advice that you could give to people who are already in this industry and mm. are not reaching what they feel is their full potential because you've been there you had a furniture company that did not work and you learned from that and grew from that. So what's some advice that you could give to these people who are looking to continue to climb that ladder of success? Oh, definitely another difficult question because what has worked for me will not necessarily work for others, but I can only um, speak from my angle. Look, I I am an immigrant into the US. Uh, I came pretty much empty-handed. What my family instilled in me was about hard work, never giving up. Uh, If you fall down, pick yourself up and try again. One thing I was 100% sure about my work was like I mentioned earlier, I knew I had good design. I knew the market had a gap to fill in and to walk into. It was just a matter of time. It's, it's kind of slightly unfortunate it took this long, but you know what? You, you don't get everything you wish for in life. So that it is happening now and not 10 years later is what makes, my, you know, me, what makes me happy at the moment. So hard work cannot be replaced by you know, wishful thinking and sitting down and doing nothing. So as a designer, and every designer, good designer will tell you this, make sure your portfolio is fantastic. Hands down, it has to wow people. You cannot have a one-hit wonder and expect to be climbing up the ladder of being collected by people. It just, it rarely works like that. Uh, Even if you have the connection and you finally make it, if all you have is one design to, to fall back on, you're in trouble. So your portfolio needs to be deep you need to keep working, refining, and of all things, what I mentioned earlier, you have to expand your network. And these days, I don't know if you have any reason not to expand your network. Again, use your online tools, go to what you can afford uh, when it comes to shows, get involved in design. I've always advised, go to design festivals instead of a trade show. 
design festivals seem to be accessible to uh, the up and coming designers and craftspeople versus a trade show. Trade shows are very expensive. You better have uh, the the uh, the funds needed for you. If nothing pans out, that you'll be fine. If you can't say that, don't go to trade shows. Uh, if you have to take one item to a design festival and share a booth with somebody and have your collaterals with you and uh, introduce yourself to the market, do that. Also identify what are the markets I want to hit. If you're happy where you are in a, in a small town in the Midwest, that's for you, then great. But if your idea is I want to go global, well, identify the cities where the global design market is. Uh, when it comes to furniture, you can't ignore Milan, you can't ignore Paris or London or New York, for that matter, or LA, Sao Paulo, and you know uh, Johannesburg or wherever you might be. So, uh, if your plan is there, that I mean, one of the reasons I moved from uh, Kansas City to DC is because I couldn't afford New York. You know, so me and my partner said, look, with the amount of money we raised, which was twenty thousand. What we can do is operate out of uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And that's what we did. We said, we can always hop on a train and go to New York. So that is the conservative side of me thinking, you know, and, and focus on how you market yourself first, instead of, I think, trying to say, oh, hey, I have a gallery of my own, a showroom of my own. Again, this is me speaking from my own angle only. If that works for you and you have the capital, that's fine. For me, that's not important. I've already tried it once and it just was not worth the pain. What, what is the most important thing is to invest in my work so I can show it at art shows or design shows uh, or even put it online and let the, the client come to my basement. I've had people who collect art come to my basement office. I'm not ashamed of it. and it doesn't seem to bother them that I don't have a gallery or a gallery representation. I've had museum curators come and visit my, my tiny shop here and have the discussion here to end up buying one of my pieces. So don't, don't be um, fooled by maybe online photos of people showing you really fancy uh, uh, galleries and stores and them standing in the middle of it. If you're starting up, prioritize your work and your investment should be, how do I take this idea of mine from my head to paper into the final product? And then what, when it comes to marketing, can I get free publicity out of it? If you can get free publicity and grow organically, more power to you, that's the way to go. Uh, if you have to pay, better have some money because our industry is just flat out not cheap, whether you're building a shop or whether you're trying to hire a, a PR professional to do the work for you that you can't. So that's kind of in a you know, roundabout way. This, these are like a conglomeration of my uh, uh, ideas and suggestions. I think that you've experienced museum curators and, and high-end art collectors coming to your, as you say, basement office and them being fine with it because you are not somebody who is putting on a show people can't necessarily duplicate the way you got here but they 
can take pieces of that and and learn from that and that's why you are where you're at today with your name getting out there with your furniture being recognized in such a powerful way with your design sense being appreciated at this point in your career so i just want to say thank you so much for for sitting down with us for sitting down with me and for having a genuine conversation about your life in this industry and the good and the bad and you are running up a hill right now and and going up a hill is hard and you felt that in your career up to this point but if you keep running that's the top of mountains man and you're gonna look down on the industry and and see where you came from and realize all that hard work brought you to where you are today yeah well thank you ethan for the opportunity and and you're right and just one word from what you just said, authenticity. Uh, that is what I've been, I've uh, poured it into my work. Uh, and that, that word describes uh, my portfolio pretty much. So thank you for this opportunity to tell my story. Uh, I love the series of uh, uh, podcasts that you've put together. Uh, it's been you know, my, my new fond uh, addiction. Uh, listening to everybody that you've interviewed. So um, and I'm glad I'm part of that catalog now. Well, you are. You're part of it in a big way. And thank you so much. And so, you're, um, you're, you're good. If, if you had a trading card, I would buy it right now. <laughs> uh, sports of uh, furniture making. There you go. Sports <laughs> of furniture making. Exactly. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.